It's me. That's um, me, the board. So uh, all we can do as a, as a team is, is run games and try to improve and develop and uh, and win. And, uh, and that's what the, the team have done. So the team and ourselves, the staff, we work very hard every day. So we're very much together, and, uh, and that's how we'll continue to be. And uh, if it falls below the expectation, then. We'll do everything we can to uh, to be better. much more as well i'm sure good evening folks and welcome along to the endless silks podcast this is a monday night show uh, i'm anthony and the host here tonight i've been joined uh by my namesake anthony um and also one of the ogs of the <laughs> endless silks uh podcast and franny as well how you both doing boys all good tony all good pleasure to be here as always uh i think there's a, a fair few things to talk about tonight then i eh? Uh, very much so, mate. As I say, um, some of it on the park, well, if we can call it the park after, as I say, it looked more like the, the Glastonbury Fields on a Sunday afternoon. But uh, yeah, um, and of course, plenty off the pitch stuff to, to chat about as well, mate. So we'll get stuck into it. And what about yourself, Ranny? I all good, Anthony. All good. I was actually fortunate enough to be at the football at the weekend as we were talking off air. So I'm looking forward to getting into it. 
No, absolutely. We'll get stuck into all that and more. Um, just before we um, go on to the next bit, Fanny, do we have the Super 6 um, results for the weekend? Uh, we, oh, right there. Where is it? I had it somewhere. I had it somewhere. There we are. There we are. There we go, indeed. So, Alistair Jack, he seems to be sort of pulling away a wee bit at the top there. Although, Kieran Gilhulis had a good week. He's back um, in the mix to it, too. Mark Robertson, Stephen Colcart, Joe Finlay. I'm kind of falling down the pecking order. I'm <laughs> never good when it comes to the, the FA Cup rounds. They always seem to get it wrong. Yeah. And uh, there we go. Kevin Hampsey, Ryan Taylor. And Franny, you and Wally, position 9 and 10. So there's still uh-huh. a few of us in there. But Alistair is uh, still leading the pack. But still a long way to go in the season. But, uh, yeah, he's doing great at the moment. Uh, so, boys, we'll just um, we'll get stuck right into it. Um, before we talk about the the actual match itself, um, obviously, Franny, Saturday's match um, was another milestone in the, the long, illustrious career of Callum McGregor at Celtic so far. It man made his 450th appearance for the club on Saturday, and, uh, and which he did what he usually does. He captained his side to a victory um, in the league. But um, before we sort of pay tribute to him, uh, Wally, our resident tech guy, it seems nowadays, <laughs> so the, the TikTok whiz, whiz kid has uh, put together a wee sort of package um, just to kind of sum up his, his time at Celtic. So I'll let you take it away. Should be so proud of that. Okay, to be able to come back and, and have him as my captain, I'm, I'm very, very lucky. Um, just an absolutely brilliant player on a different level with the greatest respect to, to everyone else on the pitch.
He's working together. Do not come off it. Always the standards. Always, always set the standards. What you have to do with this football club, you know, it doesn't matter how much you win. The next year you come back and you've got zero credit in the bank, you've got to start again. And that's what this football club is about, is delivering success for the supporters. Absolutely superb stuff, uh, well put together uh, from Willie. Absolutely, Pam. I think Marvel are going to be headhunting him for the next uh, <laughs> Avengers film at this rate. He's doing absolutely brilliant. Uh, evening, Alistair, the league leader in the uh, Super 6 there. And welcome on to everybody else in the comments uh, as well, um, whether you be new um, or old to, to the, the channel. Um, we hope you enjoy it tonight. And uh, so, Franny, unbelievable. Um, 450 appearances now for Cal McGregor and his trophy-laden career at Celtic. Just looking at some of his stats, he's got eight SPL titles five Scottish Cups, seven League Cups and 41 goals and amongst those 450 appearances. Um, you, you, can't, you tend to run out of you know, superlatives to, to, to give the, the man, because especially, you know, while he put that package together there and used the, the you know, the, the, the term captain leader legend, which was, the, of course, the, the titles awarded to his predecessor in the role, Scott Brown. And um, obviously he left a a huge hole, or we thought that was going to be the case when he when he moved on um, after the the COVID season, and you know we were looking like perhaps a bit bereft of leadership. But Cal McGregor's taken that role, made it his own, and um, he's just fallen on from where Scott Brown left off. Uh, he hasn't half. He's. I, th- I wouldn't say. I'm not what to say too much in case, some because you can always go back. I can't remember. If I said him for captain, or if I thought he would, how he would perform under the role, I think he's he surprised me how well he's performed under the role. Hampton, how he just seems to have grew as a man, grew as a player. It just shows you the influence he's got in the team and stuff. How he's, uh, how how he seems to be able to. He's maybe not as vocal as as. As Scott Brown was, and that's sometimes what you need is not the exact same voice after Scott Brown being the captain for so well for so long. Sometimes you just need need a different a different change. And and Carl McGregor has to be his own captain, has to be his own man within that role. And you see, kind of, he possibly does it more through his performances, how he kind of leads, for example, and things like that. You do you do see these speeches there and things like that. You've also got the wee things with with Barris. It's that one where he's calling him a shite bags. That'll be that'll be just that that'll get shown and sort of repeat for years and years to come. Um, but I mean, I've said that in the podcast tons of times. I think Callum McGregor is head and shoulders above anybody in this league. Not currently, Matt Riley no denying Matt Riley is the best player in the league currently. But I just think ability wise, Callum McGregor for me could play with anybody in world football. And Folk might say I'm biased, folk can cover I, I just think the boy is absolute top. I think he's a top, top player. Aye, I just, there's not enough you can say about the guy. Honestly, there isn't he? He really is, mate. He's a um, fantastic ambassador um, for Celtic as, as a whole. But, of course, it's all about um, it's other things as well as I, I am, Anthony. And, of course, one of them is leading um, a Celtic side to success. And, of course, in the time he's been here he's, he's lifted five trophies as captain already but was an integral part of the the four and um, the quadruple treble winning team before it 
and obviously was you know just sort of on the fringes of the team under under Ronnie Dyla as well. So he's and I still believe I don't think he's actually lost a, a final that he's um, competed in at Hamden either. He just seems to have a real taste for success. He, he does. Um, we spoke about it uh, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast as well. When you look at the success that individual trios, not individual trios of uh, of three midfielders, and you look at likes of Brownie uh, beforehand with him as a captain and now McGregor, he's been integral in the last decade of all of Celtic's success. And we can attribute a lot of that to to Brown, and we can see that Brown's going to be arguably one of, if not the most decorated. Uh, captain that we've had and McGregor won't reach that standard by default of not being captain for that length of time but he still won all those trebles he was integral throughout the entire well not the entire but most of that sorry I said 10 most of the nine in a row seasons and then obviously continuing that success onwards when he took over the reins as captain I can't believe at the time people actually doubted if he could be uh, a success to Scott Brown I mean Two years later, you're thinking, who else would you have accepted as captain? Because he's he stepped up to that that mantle, and and then some. He's continued to, the the winning success and tradition. He's got his own treble under his belt as captain. He's got the own his own league titles as well. He's got to hopefully get another league title this year as well. And he he deserves all the plaudits and all the credit that he gets because he's a fantastic player. He's he does a lot of dirty work that kind of goes unseen sometimes. But on the ball, a technically great quality player. He would not look at a place in any Celtic side that I've seen in my lifetime. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think as well, um, obviously in the, the little video package there, um, obviously two other men stood out in it for me. Obviously, Brendan said, I think that was the comments after the, the Derby win just there, um, after Christmas, where he, he says, with all due respect, he's the best player on the pitch um, out there by, by some distance. But obviously... As well, when he was given the captaincy, um, just as Ange Postecoglou was was taken over, and obviously he had that that famous quote where he says, "Well, the the, the ultimate sort of tribute he can pay to Callum McGregor is that the sort of changing room is is kind of his domain um, up at uh, Lennox Town. He, he never Ange himself never used to go into the players' changing room. He just sort of felt that was the captain's domain. He tr- he put, put that level of trust in him." Um, to you know, take care, be his man in, in the changing room essentially and well, clearly that message worked with five trophies out of a, a possible six in the, the time that Ange was there. Um, he's a phenomenal servant to Celtic um, and hopefully there's a lot of gas left in the tank yet because um, yeah, he's, he certainly seems to be in the mood uh, for more success. Um, but Franny, I'm going to come back to you um, because if, um, and as, as Anthony says, hopefully that that next success will be a league championship in uh, in, in the springtime. Goes without saying that we can't win every week six nil. Um, but of those 450 appearances um, that Callum's made, I don't think Saturday's going to be making his uh, his greatest hits DVD when he does eventually hang up his boots. No, it's. I think if we do go on to win the league, I think Saturday of it'll just be sort of a race for the memory. I don't think it's not one we'll look back to and go. It was a, a turning moment, but it was it was a terrible, terrible game, Anthony. But it's weird because he scored the penalty, mm-hmm. then Bernardo scores that chance that he should score. 
it's a total different game you're talking yeah, about at yeah. the end of the day. I think it is fine margins, but it's one of the ones as well where you're looking at it going, you've got off to the perfect start, probably, obviously, a perfect start against any op- opponent that you scored that early. But certainly a team like Ross Higgett County, who aren't playing well, their manager's telling everybody they're not playing well. He hates the league, he hates being here. So it's to, to kind of sort of chuck their game plan out in the bin straight away. It's it, it's a perfect start, but it just, it was just those chat like the Bernardo chance, the guy's been on great form, you, you expect them to stick it away. Palmo's penalty, I feel like expecting them to stick the first one away, but plural, plural. Was the, sec- <laughs> uh, the second, what the retake, I'm sitting going, we bet him. He's just sitting, thinking, I think he's missing this again. It's not to sound clever or anything. I just there was just a wee feeling going, wouldn't it surprise me if he misses this year? And it just, I think after I'm trying to remember if Bernardo's chance was after that or not. I think it was. I think it was before, and I just think it. I wouldn't say that sucked the life out of us or anything, but it certainly gave Ross County a wee bit of belief that. There might be something in this today for us because I think for there the crowd got on, got on their back. It was just, it was a strange, strange day. Like we did have chances equally. They had chances. Obviously, David, David Tumble came on, and it's a guy I've stuck up for. But oh my god, he was terrible. He caused more damage than what he did when he came on the park. I thought he was gave the ball away so many times. I just felt it was just a, a strange, strange game that ended. We spoke about it before we came on, Anthony. How about the burn and stuff? We might get, we'll, we'll probably get that like that. Just weirdly, how that felt like a, a near inevitability that there was going to be some sort of ma- some sort of reaction after it. Um, but it's just it was weird because you try and you go back to I think it was run about this. Well, not it was a wee bit later on this. Maybe it was run about this time two years ago. Angie's first season. Up at Ross County, funny enough, you mm. scored a last minute goal. Wasn't it a great game that day? And I just think this whole I, there's, there's clearly a lot going on in the background. There's a lot of unrest within the fan base and things like that. There's no denying that. But if that goal was in the last minute, I think you're looking at this a totally different way. For, I might be wrong. I, I just think you're looking at this a totally different way if that's a last minute goal. As opposed to a first minute goal. Yeah, it's a fair a, a fair point, mate. And obviously we will go on to the uh, the sort of unrest um to be you know for want of a better word, uh, Anthony l- later on in the show. But I suppose if you're going to put trying to put a, a positive spin on it, um and again hello to everyone in the comments like Franny's bringing a few of them mm-hmm. up now. Um of course all teams, um, Anthony, whether it be Celtic or, or any other successful side, especially a side that's had a continued period um, of success, can it, 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 there's always going to be days where you have times like this happening. Now, we are aware that this is not just a, a single one-off game. This has probably been a combination of um, different factors. Um, the one thing you, you can say to put a positive spin on it, that at least if you're going to be going through periods like this, if you're still putting the three points on the board, yes, we have to, had to huff and puff to, to do so, but you'd rather win your way through adversity than um, than drop any further points like we did earlier on in the campaign. Yeah, definitely true, and I'm, I'm going to try to be careful not to 
delve into the conversations that we're probably going to have in the later half of the, the podcast itself. On the game itself, though, uh, I would somewhat disagree with Franny a little bit in the sense that if we scored that goal in the last minute, would it be a different atmosphere, a different feeling? Would we be booing them at the end of it or something? Maybe not booing them because the relief would be there so soon, but I think the feeling that it was a, a terrible game to have scored so early then not have done anything really throughout the game or to have done nothing throughout the game and get the last minute goal. I think the, the frustration would still be there. And I think the the players themselves on the day need to take a, a proper look at themselves. The We could talk about how it's not a settled 11 all season practically. He's not found his best 11. He's had a lot of injuries and so forth. But the players are still professional. They're still the best players in this entire league. And then some, especially when you come up against Ross County. So I expect the performance, as much as I'm going to get into it later on, is tell you that it's other people's fault to begin with. I think the performance from the players still needs to be better on the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's fair um, as well. That it, it seemed very lacklustre at times, is, uh, for want of a better word. Um, and obviously, perhaps can, certain conditions um, all, all was, was part of that. And obviously, we'll, we'll discuss that as well. Um, one of the, the questions that we were wanting answered, and we got that before the game, uh, Anthony, I'll just come straight back to you, was, of course, the boys were chatting um, at great length on Friday night, just with the, the unfortunate injury to Greg Taylor um, and everything that that comes with. Um, but how would Brendan set up at the back? Was there the chant of Alexander Bernabe stepping in? Perhaps um, Liam Scales moving over to, to left back and you know for another um, centre-half to to start in his place um, next to CCV, who was also declared fit. Um, there was even the possibility of a back three as well. All these different, you know, opportunities were, were, were discussed. Um, but as we found out, um, but an hour before kickoff, it was pretty much a like for like, a left back for a left back. And uh, the man, the forgotten man, you could almost say, Alexander Burnaby, uh, made a start. Um, and have to say, started absolutely brilliantly, you know, putting that ball across, um, getting beyond his marker, putting the ball in that caused so much confusion in the in the county area that led um, to the goal. I wouldn't say, I, I don't think there can be anyone that then say he went on to have a man of the match performance or that he was absolutely dreadful and a liability and nearly cost us the game either. He was probably somewhere in between, perhaps a five and a half, six out of ten. Um, I think we're all agreed that he's not an answer long term. But do you, from Brendan being that that has been his first choice going to just a, a like for like swap, can you see Bernabe, unless somebody comes in, which we do think is unlikely at left back, can you see Bernabe just sort of filling in that slot until such time Craig, Greg Taylor returns? Don't know. Is the honest <laughs> answer? Um, as you started that, Tony, yourself, we were discussing, well, the guys were discussing Friday night, who was it going to be, you know, scales moves over, was it going to be Berry? was it going to be a back three? Hell, we've even seen Tony Ralston play at left back earlier this season yeah. uh, when he came off the bench one time. The fact that we're, what, three days, four days before the end of January when that game kicks off and we were not even aware of what possibly could be the fallback to if Greg mm-hmm. Taylor was injured... That tells you that if we can't figure that out, the manager can't figure it out. That just tells you the kind of issues we have at the club. As for Burnaby himself, I think you're spot on. He didn't have his worst performance and he certainly probably didn't have his best. Um, 
but I like the fact that he does start. I've got a soft spot for him um, for all the wrong reasons, probably because he had really, really not good defensively. Um, but I think he had a, a fair game in the grand scheme of the rest of the team wasn't the greatest either. And for me, I would like to see him start the next game or two. Uh, again, assuming that we're not going to sign anybody else apart from some over-the-hill EPL has been on loan probably. Um, I would like to see Ben get a couple of games because I think he maybe doesn't deserve it, but he might need a run to at least show himself or show the manager if he can get a run of three, four games, will he actually step it up and actually push on a wee bit? Or is he going to be this forever? They've got a man who pops up every, you know, 10 or so games, does a performance, then disappears into nothing again. Well, well, that's the thing. I mean, obviously, that he is, his poor timekeeping um, obviously set, didn't get off on the right track with, with Brendan at the, at the best of times. And obviously, Greg Taylor... Um, kept him out of the team last season under Ange. Um, sorry, Ante, I'm just going to come straight back to you. Then I'm, I'm over to you, Franny. Um, after <laughs> that, just want to get your um, just want to get your views on this as well. Um, obviously, as as Pam has alluded to um, in the chat, Stephen um, is a big fan of Burnaby. Um, but one of the the things that I, and again, you, it was a testimonial, so you can only attribute so much credit to a testable testimonial match. But when he was playing in, in James Forrest's game, it was just before the start of the season. Um, he actually, I can't remember if it was him that scored the winning goal or it was him that set it up, but it was the discussion around that time was the way that he played in that second half that perhaps he was more suited to the, the sort of way that Brendan wanted to play. And we actually thought Stephen even made the prediction at that point that he thought he would he would then go on to be the first choice left back this season. Obviously, the next day training, he slept in, and you know, the rest is history. But <laughs> if he gets that, you. If, like, like you see, probably already answered it to an extent, but if if you were the manager now, going on the back of, of Saturday, would you be inclined to say, okay, Pataudry, Easter Road, and perhaps the next few games beyond, you're, you're like letting them know right now you're going to be in the team, so you know, be ready for it, so to speak? Yeah, he has to, kind of like, on different circumstances, but kind of like with Bernardo as well uh, in the, the festive period, He's going to have to give these players this run of games to let them settle. He had to let Bernardo settle leading up to the derby game. And then Bernardo came good with it. And he's, he's reaping the benefits just now for, what, five, six games in a row. And we're all thinking Bernardo actually could be uh, could be signed permanently for next season, actually fit in quite well. Is Benry going to be similar? Probably not. Um, but he needs that run of games to, to see if he can. Because at this stage, we're not getting a left-back, so we have to make do with what we've got inevitably. And we can't keep persisting with Greg Taylor forever because he gets injured now. So we need to do something. And I'd rather see one person get a fair shot than we start putting scales at left-back uh, left where he's actually probably better at centre-back. We'll start, start putting, you know, Ralston there or three at the back or whatever we end with. I'd rather just give Benby, give him the shot as Boise brought up as well. Do I want to give a guy who doesn't deserve it and is also defensively not very good a shot? No, really. I want us to go out and sign a left-back that's, you know, on a par with Kimertini at least. But we're not going to do that, so I have to make do with what we've got. And for just now, I think I want to see what bernie has got. How how bad could it be, really? Yeah, that's a fair... Well, ho- hopefully the answer isn't too disastrous, but I, I totally t- take your points on board. Um, Franny, uh, you've been sitting out there for a while. <laughs> for that. Um, 
what was your own thoughts when you were um, heading through? I know you and Jed were sitting together mm-hmm. on uh, Saturday. You were along at the match, and um, obviously you would have heard the, the team news coming through. Um, is that what you would have a expected, um, b wanted, or did you think of uh, his performance? And um, also as well, what would you say about in terms of going forward? Would you start him, or if, it, if the power was in your hands, would you go for an alternative option? Uh, I don't. I honestly don't know. I, I like it. It was what I expected in the sense that who, who else have we got to put? And I don't. I can't see that Mitchell Frame getting a start. He obviously came on the Champions League and has not been seen since. I don't even think he made the squad for Bucky Fissel. So I, I was glad to an extent that he played because it meant it kept Liam Scales at centre half. I think Liam Scales has came out and said that centre left centre half has favoured position. So I don't see why this clamour to move him out of where he's been playing so well to go to left back. I don't know, like Liam Scales is arguably our best centre half this season, and so I just I've never understood that argument to take him out of there and put him left back. So, at one hand, I was like, well, at least we've got a natural left back in there if you can call him that. But maybe I'm a wee bit blinkered when it comes to Bellingham. I thought he was. What he was rank. He gave the ball away about three times and could just try to clip up the line and stuff. And they were just like, and at times it just, I don't, it, it feels like he's playing playground football because I just feel like it chases after the ball and just gets gets attracted to the football and just runs and runs after the ball. I just, it looks like an absolute failed winger. It might be, I, I can even claim after, what has it been here, a year, a year and a half? It can't be struggling to maybe adapt. To, to the lifestyle that that sort of the culture and things. I think I think it's Burnaby's for me will just never do the fact that Greg Taylor, like taking on away for Greg Taylor, he's, he's obviously performing well enough to keep to, to stay in the team, but it, Greg Taylor's no must have minute of football and God knows, well obviously apart from the weekend, God knows how long. And Burnaby like you sometimes see rotation that Andrew obviously rotated the team a wee bit. It's just they're not getting tried on like didn't even get a game against Bucky Fissel. That for me just tells you all you need to know about Bernabe. I I do think if we don't get a left back in, I do think he'll start. I, I don't see any reason why you put skills out to left back, but it, it might just do it. But it actually worries me the next three games with Bernabe potentially being a left back. I just I wanted to give the guy a chance when he came in because I was on the on the, the sort of a trainee we need we need to replace uh, Greg Taylor. I still I still believe we certainly need to get something to challenge Greg Taylor, if nothing else. Because that that simply could all be maybe Greg Taylor's got a wee bit complacent and thought, well, I don't really need a day much to keep my place here. You just I don't I don't think he is. I just it needs challenged. It needs challenged that position. For me, Burnaby is never the answer to that. See all these unanswered questions that we've got here, like Burnaby's not really an answer, Greg Taylor needs to be challenged. Me wanting the run of games, even though I don't think he's very fucking good in the first place. <laughs> all this nonsense that we're talking about, and I, I mean this respectfully to ourselves here, of course, this is the issue we've got at Celtic right now, that we uh-huh. don't actually know what the left-back what the answer is to this issue. And when you think about it, absolutely no offence to Greg Taylor. 
But Greg Taylor is not a number one pick at left back for Glasgow Celtic. He is not European ready, in my eyes, for Champions League football sort of thing. He's not the calibre we need. He's a solid player and he's a dependable backup. But we most certainly need somebody much better than him at left back as a first choice. Yet here we are and, you know, two managers after Ange and now Rodgers who are persistent with him where he, he worked well under Ange because he fitted a certain style. But Burnaby didn't fit him because Burnaby wasn't the style for an Ange footballer. He wasn't an inverted fullback at all. Burnaby's more like a Rodgers fullback, but he's not very good. But Greg Taylor's not a Rodgers kind of fullback because we already know that from the Neil Lennon times that Greg Taylor doesn't do traditional fullback in the sense he's just not very good. But invert him into the midfield a little bit and he is actually not too bad. So we're kind of square pegs, round holes and all this kind of stuff trying to fix this left back problem without actually getting anybody in of just real bloody quality just to take that position by the scruff of its neck and say, it's mine, Taylor, love you and all that, but you're going to play back up to whoever it is that happens to be. It's a bit of a mess and it's a bloody annoying that we're now in but the 29th of January, and we've still not fixed it in two windows See, under this manager. I, I can agree with you about with, with the, the Greg Taylor, but could you flip it and go, well, these managers still keep playing them? We say Pastor Cole was a great manager, we play, but then I agree. Who else? I mean, I've just slated Burnaby, so I've not actually put a good case for him <laughs> well, to yeah. displace him. But then I suppose we might get into that. That maybe goes back to his recruitment in the sense that you're spending about three, three and a half million. On a left back that not necessarily displacing Taylor, but isn't even challenging him as yeah. that's that's an argument for a different day, I guess. Would we say that given the money spent, I'm going off on a tangent here, that you're, you're, mm-hmm. given the money that was spent on him, could you could we argue that Bernabe is I mean he doesn't have many faux pas in the transfer market, Ange, but would we say that he was per, he's perhaps Ange's biggest flop in his time at Celtic? Transfer-wise? Possibly. Possibly. Mm. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. There's a couple I mean, there of possible signings like Abelgard that didn't work out. And, uh, well, they were and stuff. But Edigucci was, you know, he didn't exactly break the bank. And But, you know, we do, I just, just a thought, just get, uh, given the money that we spent on him. Um, I totally, for, for the money spent on him, probably. Is he the worst player that we brought in under Ange? Probably not, but that's not a great achievement in itself. But yeah. for the value we spent, yeah, he's, he's probably the biggest biggest waste. Yeah, and obviously, I'm sure Stephen's favourite, Mr. James McCarthy. To be fair to him, he's he's, he's mm. correct in that. Right? We, we could never understand the four the four year contract thing. I mean, he was a guy that I suppose fitted the we need bodies in Bill at that point. But mm. to offer him a four year contract when he hadn't played football and over a at least I think like a year and a half, two years was was crazy. But yeah, I digress. Um, <laughs> as, I, as we were again kind of all agreement in there, boys, it was a, a lackluster display on on Saturday. But Franny, I think one of the, and of course there is a bit of a you know the, the, the whole sort of atmosphere around the club at the minute is again disjointed, being charitable at best. But one of the things I think everyone can agree on and. Again, this is something that I don't think any of us will be, be able to put our, our finger on, is the fact that um, the current state of Celtic's pitch is appalling. <laughs> it really is bad, considering the fact that, you know, that, that, that this, um, I think the term for it's a deso surface, it costs 
you know, multi-million pound investment. Um, it was at, at the request of Brendan in, in his first season round, and when I was doing the tour one time, it was in the pre-season after Brendan had had left, um, or sorry, like the one leading up to what then became the COVID season. And the, the tour guide was telling me that they'd only had the first the, the first phase of it complete, and then he says it isn't until year two because I don't know the whole science behind it, but mm. it's a sort of hybrid, isn't it? It's like artificial grass and real grass, and it's all banded together, so to speak. The idea being that you get this sort of bowling green-like surface, which all sounds great in, in theory, but I, I, I just think, I mean, it's, this isn't the first, it was the same this time last season as well. Um, and, you know, I, I think Celtic's ground staff are renowned as some of the best, but you look at the pitches down in England, you know, the, the same type of surface with the same type of investment in them, um, it doesn't rain in Glasgow, I would argue, any more or less than anywhere else in the UK. But for whatever reason, this this it just isn't holding up. And you know, to say that beforehand it was like something that you would see at Glastonbury on a, a wet weekend. Um, there's a lot of things that can be argued aren't good enough at the minute at Celtic, but I think that's one where everyone's singing for the same hymn sheet. It's it's really not great at all. Nah, it's, it's not, but then, I mean, we have had fucking horrendous weather the last few weekends, the last few weeks. Could that be a major factor? I mean, it's probably, it probably is a big issue. I, I, is it just, for me, the pitch will only help the way you play. But the way I'm looking at it is, is the, we're picking on the pitch because it's, it's just, for me, another sign of just where... Where Celtic seem to be there now as a club, it's well, nothing seems to be getting done, and it feels like we're just packing on anything that we can pack on. It's like, well, fucking pitch was shite. I mean, know. I mean, it's it's the winter. We've actually had about three storms following each other. We, God knows how much rains must have fell. Played football on it. It's just. I've, I don't know the nick of any other parks round about in Scotland. Somebody might tell me they're a lot better. For me, the pitches, the pitches just moaning for moaning's sake now. In the sense, you think it's a bit like the Man United fans that moan about the leaking roof. You think it's just if they were performing well, probably nobody would be complaining about the leaking roof at Old Trafford. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, it's just for me, it's it feels like. I, I do agree that it probably should be better. It should certainly look better if it's this hybrid pitch that all the all the best play for and 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 use. It probably should be looking better. So maybe that's just a conversation they need to have with the green staff. Are they are they doing what they need to do to properly protect the pitch? I just for me, it just feels it, it's a sign of where Celtic seem to be right now that we're actually more about the state of the pitch. Fair enough, fair enough. What about yourself, uh, Anthony? I don't know if you've got any green fingers yet. You know, how you know the, the, how the technology of it all works, but it's just something. You know, it's you know, it's something that me and my dad always say to each other almost as a a, a joke. All at the start of the season, we'll go, "Our pitch is looking great," you know. But we're definitely not just uh, saying that now. Yeah, it's a, a fair point, Stephen. That's why I was saying it's not not just Scotland, but the rest of the UK. But um. But that, that that's the thing, you know, they've spent this money um on it, but it doesn't seem to be coming up trumps. Yeah, I've no answer for it at all. Um 
I would need to know more about last year as well. If it cut up as well last year, this time is it is it just the time of year? Um, unfortunately for me, I was not in the Glasgow area this time last year, so I don't know how cold it got. If it was the same as the last couple of weeks, as Fanny says, maybe that is playing a part. Um, but this top range pitching grass and all, all the hybrid stuff, if it's the same what the EPL guys are playing at the top end of theirs, then there really shouldn't be any reason why this isn't keeping the way it should be because it's all working fine down there. And they, yeah, there's a few degrees temperature difference. Yeah, we might have frozen over a bit more in Glasgow this last few weeks than than they did down in London and the likes. Mm-hmm. But we're we're Celtic, we're we're hoarding seventy odd million pounds in the bank. So sort I of think surely we can afford a couple of top Hollands to to cover the grass and keep it keep it looking good. You know, if if you're going to pay the money on a top end pitch, pay the staff to to maintain it. Mm-hmm. Well, well, that's the, 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 the like you were asking about last season. I remember we played Greenock Morton in the, the third round of the cup last year, and I wasn't actually at the game that day, but we were watching it on the telly, and it was it was looking very similar to what it is at the moment. And then the, the following week, we played Kilmarnock in the League Cup semi final at Hamden, and Ange, you know, really criticised the Hamden pitch heavily. And it was one of those rare times when we were on the, I think we were on the show on the Monday going, that's probably something we probably shouldn't highlight too much, um, you know, because we're, you know, given the state of ours, you know. But like you say, it might be just this time of year. But like you say, I don't see many waterlogged pidgeys um, down in England uh, either. And the whole point I, I was that I was under the impression of was that this was going to be like a sort of Premier League-esque surface. But it's uh, certainly far from that. At the moment, but hopefully the state of the pitch improves and the state of the performances improve um, with it. Uh, Fran, in terms of the, the, the match itself, you know, there's probably not much else to, to, to bring up. But one, one other point, I suppose, was we got a snippet of um, one new signing in the January window so far. And of course, Kuhn came on sort of midway through the second half. He started on the left, ended on the right. A um, couple of Decent touches. I wouldn't say there was anything spectacular in it, but nothing that too bad either. There was one great play where he got round the Ross County keeper and, and put a cross in, um, but the county keeper, fair play to him, was at full stretch and, and plucked it out of the air. Um, so, yeah, it's probably too early to make sort of any you know massive judgments on him, but um, it's always good when you get the first glimpse of your, you know, a new signing off the bench. Uh, oh, as Anthony, there's, there's no denying that it's always good to see see him coming on. I mean, I I, I probably gave him a bigger cheer than I intended to because when he was getting warmed up, it, it just looked like Mikey Johnson for a distance. So I was sitting thinking, <laughs> we've got the new guy on the bench, and we, and I turned and says to Jed, I went, that says that tells you all you need to know about the new guy if Mikey Johnson's coming on a forum. But obviously, obviously, I was getting to I I, I was proving wrong. The guy going to Guy done some no bad wee things, had some good wee touches and stuff. Um, dug out a couple of nice wee crosses, but uh, I, you're, you're not going to get a feel for the guy after Saturday's game. Anthony, it was a, a horrible game to come on. On um, game by the time he came on, I wouldn't say the game was flat, but Celtic certainly weren't in full flow. Although mm. when Narofka came on, he came on kind of Narofka, I thought, done, got. Like I felt the centre halves, Jed said it as well. The two centre halves, uh, CCV and Scales, 
they seem to get up to a certain point and stop and would not go by that but whereas Norovka just thought well I'll just keep going and played some neat passes and kind of broke the lines and off at one time uh, I think couldn't got in and dug it in his course uh, it's definitely a dog I'm not I'm not saying we've got a player in our hands but I'm not going to sit and write the guy off after a 20 minute cameo or whatever it was on Saturday that's it I mean I think we've got some massive games coming up um, Anthony um, obviously Aberdeen away, Hibs away, Scottish Cup. You're looking for him to probably feature a hell of a lot more in those games and the, the games after that as well. Um, what was your sort of initial take on him um, from the bench? Much the same as Branny there. Uh, it wasn't long enough really to, to get a full judgment on him. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say something that's going to make it sound really, really harsh. See, when we've got a manager telling us that we're only going to sign real quality players when they're available and he's not going to accept anything else, I expect a quality signing to come in, even for that 25-minute half hour that he had. And for us not to sit here and go, it wasn't terrible, it wasn't great, we'll need to get him with him. I want to have sat here and go, 25-minute cameo, that got my arse off my seat. He looks good. I'm excited to see him next week. I'm no. And maybe it's this kind of thing as we're talking about a wee bit in the amongst ourselves, maybe it's just this thing at the club that everything's just negative just now. It's all just seeping into my mindset. But that's no real quality. He looks no better than than the likes of your Palmas or Abada. He looks all right. Uh, I, I'm excited enough to say, let's see what he does for the next few games. But I'm not sitting here going thinking, he's changing this. He's he's the match one of us. He's going to take us forward. There's, there's no real flash to it. But there's no real shakeness to it either. So I think my mood to it is just all right. Another, another one that could be the way here. Maybe a bit of magic um, against Aberdeen or something like that could, you know, change the mind. But I, I, I know what you mean. As I say, in terms of the okay. fact that there w- wasn't anything too spectacular to to start off. Um, yeah, it's very much a case of of, of wait and see um, how he, how he gets on from here. And obviously, the fact that he's he's got a bit of competition on the wings as well. You know, you obviously have a bad back now. You've got Louis Palmer, who's been in the team pretty much since he signed. And obviously the likes of Dyson Maeda as well when he gets back from the Asian Cup. So um, if he wants to nail down a regular place, he's, he's going to have to, he is going to have to hit the ground running um, as quickly as, as possible. Um, and that, that probably, uh, Franny, feeds into the, the wider points. I say in terms of the match itself, there wasn't really much else to discuss. Of course, there was the, the two missed penalties, which, you know, it's... It's beyond belief. I don't know who it was that put it up on the chat earlier. Um, There's a brilliant comment. It seems we, we miss penalties the way Joe Biden misses steps. That's <laughs> that's an absolutely brilliant analogy. Um, it's so frustrating. I don't have any statistical analysis um, to, to back up my theory, and it's maybe just personal preference, but I absolutely cannot stick these staff run-ups before a penalty it just the, the minute I see it happening it, I, I just switch off I went I actually I stormed out and went down to the, the queue for a cup of tea after the first one it wasn't until I was queuing that the steward you know Bubba had it up in the telly that we were going to get another one and like you said didn't really feel like there was any expectation for anyone on the ground that it was going to go in it was almost like well he'll hit it he'll miss it and then we can hopefully get a second one Um, you know score a second goal quite quickly after it but yeah, we really do need to sort stuff out with the with the penalties. But for me, Franny, it, it kind of fed into um, what kind of happened at the 
at the end of the match, like you say, there was a strange atmosphere throughout the, the course of the second half. And there's there's bits of it that I can understand. There's bits of it that I'm that I was frustrated with. I was absolutely fuming coming out the ground on on, on Saturday. I'm I, I, and I'm not trying to dismiss anyone's valid views on it. Maybe it, you can maybe file it under birthday care pish as, as the boys would <laughs> on, on still game would call it. But I've been brought up in a relative a very successful period at Celtic. But I'm I'm young, old enough that I can remember the the latter end of the of the their dominance in the mid nineties and then of course into you know ninety nine two thousand um, etc. So we've always seen successful. The Rangers sides we've been up against successful Rangers sides and we've had poor Celtic sides of course we have but I, I, I can't remember on too many occasions if it's ever happened where we've actually even booing the team in any any sense and I know people are saying oh it was maybe more at the board or whatever I, I don't know if I subscribe to that I felt that the reaction on Saturday was very much to do with the actual performance on the pitch but you know that's that's for others to to make their minds up on. You know, I, I just think that there's, I think, the argument that the players have got to do better. Absolutely, I, th- I thought the the performance was really lackluster on Saturday. I do think I... the manager perhaps got to wisen up a wee bit, and the you know perhaps in the post match comments and stuff, perhaps not give as much away. I certainly think, you know, I think sometimes people think me and and Wally and Ross are, you know, get paid up members of the of the pro <laughs> law will brigade, which we and you certainly know me, I, I very much am. But I find myself more often than not these days on the side of trying to find a bit of balance in the argument. But the the accusation that they could and should do more, I totally hear all of that as well. But for me, I think the fans have got to do a bit. I've got to raise the the game a bit a little bit here as well. And the reason I say that is because I've seen it more and more happen in European games the last couple of seasons where, of course, we've been apprehensive about we've taken a few heavy doings in Europe. You think of PSG, Barcelona, teams like that. That where the the minute the ball gets over the halfway line in Europe, and I put it down, you can put it down to, you know, it's a European night, maybe guys have come over for Ireland, have been on the flight or the ferries and you know, people have been in, gathering the pubs all afternoon and whatever, but there's always a bit more apprehensive and in, intention in, in the European nights and for you know, because we want to avoid some of the, the poor results that we've had. But I've found that more and more this season, almost sneaking into the, the actual domestic games as well. It's almost like we're trying to prophesize our own doom. Um, of course, we have lost, we've lost a lot, a lot of late goals under Ange last season as well, where we sh- games that we should have killed off earlier that we didn't. And, you know, I can, I can certainly think of it happening a couple of times under Lenny as well. And sometimes we've ended up going up the park and getting out of jail, but other times we have dropped points as well. But it just seems to be, for me at the moment, the minute, if we're not 4 nothing up after 15 minutes, or if the players are deciding to play the way that Brendan likes to play, where it is a little bit more calm, measured, side to side, I appreciate it. it's maybe not as eye-catching as Ange. However, there was plenty of days at the office under Ange where there was a bit of a, that could have got football stopped as well. For me, I don't think 
this mass anxiety and mass panic every time that it's 1-0 and there's a misplaced pass or whatever. I don't think that necessarily helps things either. So whilst I'm, I can understand where some of it's coming from, for me, I'm, I, I just think boo booing the team, I think that sends off a terrible message for those that wish us ill. We're giving them all the ammunition they want. And I'm just interested to see. I know we'll probably have different opinions tonight, and that's absolutely what this show is all about. So I'm going to I'll come to you first, Franny, and then Anthony, you can give us your own thoughts on Saturday's atmosphere, but just the wider malaise at the club at the moment as well. I think it's uh, Saturday's sort of a reaction after it. I think it has a lot to do with the wider malaise at the the. The club, Anthony. I mean, I'm, I'm with you in the sense that I don't, I don't see the benefits of booing the team. Was it booing the performance and all that? I, I just, I didn't see the point and all that. I can remember a couple of games back when I had a season ticket. I did witness it sometimes at half time, after my yeah. poor forty five minutes. You were down and I was just like, I don't, I don't get that. But equally, I find myself going, well, you're paying good money. You're not going to get a sit down with the board or anything like that. So when are you going to get to really voice your opinion? You could shout going, fucking sack the board, day this, day that, but that's not going to get heard. A boo is like, it's heard louder than you verbally shouting. You're sort of a, this, how discontent you are with the, the club. And I think it's just, I think it's came for, for when Rogers came in. I mean, I'm no massive on the board. I'm probably not. Don't pay enough attention to them to have to really be keeping an eye on them and all that. I do think there is a sort of element a job for the boys, certainly when you start looking at a Mark Wall's sort of a, his, his CV, if you like, it's not a very good one for what the job that he's got there now. Um, I just think there's a lot of stuff coming up. Like, obviously, Brendan Merger's coming back for me was absolutely amazing. I mean, but I think there was also a section of the fan base weren't happy with him coming back. And that's, so I think it's kind of came for, for that appointment. It's just kind of started fair there. Performances didn't start great. The I think we all thought, myself included, all thought Brendan Rodgers was going to, I think we expected, certainly myself, I, I, I was on record as saying as I think we'll break our transfer record. A bit out of default in the summer, just the way the market was going. Brendan Rogers saying he's coming back to improve us in Europe. Suppose in hindsight, you could argue he did because we got four points. It's an improvement, but it's we're still out. It's I think there's just a lot of there's been a lot of could you say mixed? I don't know if mixed messages right because Brendan Rogers, on one hand, was saying he was happy he signed off on all the the transfer dealings at the summer. But yeah, only plays Palma. I know Nafrovsky's coming in, but it's only Palma that's getting played out in nine, nine or even ten. That Phillips got a couple of games. I'm not really want to chuck that Phillips in it because he was it was an emergency loan. We had yeah, to get somebody in. Had to get somebody in. But out of the nine that came in, Palma's the only real regular. We've actually got looking like we're getting ready Lager Belka, who was one of our most expensive summer signings. I just think recruitment's been I mean, after certainly, I maybe wasn't as bad as as guys like you and William Ross when it came to recruitment. But 
certainly now he's sort of six, seven months, but down the line, you can sit and go, well, Crippen's been pretty shite in the summer. And then you come into January, Brendan Rodgers again, talking about quality. I want quality. We need three or four guys in. Three days left and we've got one guy in. And the rumours aren't very... I mean, I'm one for Twitter and rumours and jumping out. Even I'm struggling to find anything on there. Obviously, you're getting Sydney Van Hoydonk, but it's just... And then... It's just, I just think there's hunters running about it. It just seems there's a lot of discontent and frustration round about thought we're getting Rogers back. And it just seems like there's some desperate for him to fail. The folk that were really happy for him coming back, it feels like he's he's maybe came for me, it feels like he's came back and he's he's ten almost what Lennon done second time round, just ten what he was given. And it's just, I just, I, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, I do believe Celtic are trying to bring folk in these last few days, but it also feels a wee bit panicked a wee bit in the fact that they're doing it, doesn't it? Or is it they're trying to be more measured to maybe try and gain them the benefit out the summer window? They've admitted we can't even made an arse of that. We need to try and be a wee bit measured now. I just don't again. It just there's so much just feels off with the fan base that. They kind of seem to find two fans sort of in the same page now, Anthony. It's just, and I think that just was a lot of that just fed, fed into Saturday and was a lot to do with the booze of map. And it was just some probably booing the performance, some booing the board, some just just a general mood with the sort of for the season's gone. It's it's a weird, it's weird, absolutely weird. I know. Well, no, obviously we weren't at the um, we weren't at the Hearts game because that was the night of our, our Christmas party. Um, but you know, obviously, guys that were at it were saying that you know it was pretty bad, Anthony. But um, I don't think it got as bad as that on on Saturday. But I suppose the fact that we were winning one nil rather than losing two 0 probably um, had a a part in that. Um, what's your kind of? Do you think it is a mixture of all things, or do you think it was just purely on the result, or do you think it was purely at the board, or do or do you think it's all these little factors that are Making a imperfect storm. Everything again. Let's go back to what Franny brought originally in the the podcast earlier. It's this kind of everything comes together and this bad feeling that we've all seemed to have. Some of us are trying to be more positive than others about it. We're trying to benefit of the doubt sometimes, which is fair. Um, but there's a lot of bad feeling and bad vibes going around the club. It stems usually from. <clears throat> in my opinion, usually from one guy, um, Peter Lowell himself. And things just don't feel right again this year. Um, we're not as bad as we were under the, the going for the 10 season. Um, well, most certainly, performance-wise, we're not as bad as the 90s, of course, as some people kind of remind us and tell us that we're entitled for, for any bad vibes and bad feelings that we have towards uh, how the clubs run. But I think the booze at the weekend... For me, they definitely felt more. This is the last game of the one, like of the transfer window. This is the last time they had a chance to voice their opinion, and it felt like it was more directed at the club and at the board rather than the players and the manager. But I think the players and the manager specifically has probably taken it a lot bit more personal than it was. Um, doesn't help the fact that everybody, including the players and managers, can all admit that the performance wasn't that great either. So it's probably a bit of everything. But I think overall, for most of the fans. The booze at the weekend was definitely about the transfer window and about how the clubs ran. 
talking about recruitment, I'm not going to delve too deep into pretty much what Fanny said and the general feeling that I think we're all on board that the recruitment is piss. Um, the club's not in a great place. There's people running this club who probably shouldn't be running the club anymore. But there's a point that I want to bring up. Two points I want to actually bring up. One is, who is the scouting team? I think it was maybe Boise asked this one in the chat as well. Who is the scouting team? Who do we have? I've got three names for you because it's really fucking hard to pin this down. You can't go to the Celtic website and find I, I, scouting I teams. I couldn't tell you them. I couldn't if, if you hard. had a gun in my head and told me to pick them out. I couldn't, couldn't do it. I, went, I got to the Celtic wiki page one time uh, the other day and they had a list of about eight or nine people, one of which was Tosh McKinley and they also still had Ange Postacoglu as a manager and Mickey Hammond as a director of sports or something. So well out of date. Um, but I've got three names who, if you go to the individual LinkedIn page of all things, they still state that they play uh, work for Celtic. Three names. We'll start with Mark Lowell. His job title is the head of first team scouting and recruitment. We've got Jay Leferry, who has been here for a few years, still here apparently. His title, head of scouting operations. And then we've got a guy who signed for us last March, Joe Dudgeon. His LinkedIn page, his title is lead first team scout. Can anybody tell me what a lead first team scout is? What a head of scouting operations and what the difference is between those two and a head of first team scouting or recruitment because also like the guy that makes the job. tea for the guy that makes the coffee doesn't it <laughs> that's that's the same job for three different people uh -huh. no wonder the recruitment is piss poor no wonder nobody knows who we're dealing with or who's who's making the negotiations or phone calls or whatever's going on that's the same job for three people and yet i can't find anybody else who's an actual scout going out to actually scout people which brings me to my second point. I'll make it very, very brief. We let Carl Starfelt leave because he wanted to be near his missus who, who went to Portugal, so he went to mm -hmm. the north That's of Spain just across the border. <laughs> fair play. We've all seen the pictures. Um, <laughs> which is fair. Player wants to move on. It's fair. Seagrass, you want to move to Australia? Let's just, on you go. Let's just move it along. It's fair that that happens. But why did we allow Carl Starfelt to leave and we actually let an agent tell us who we're going to sign next in Lagerbielka, who's now on his way up the door six months later. Did we even scout them? Did we even do due diligence? Did anybody check this guy out, or did we literally just take the word of a scout and went, I okay then? Of course the scout's going to tell us he's got the next staff out coming up for us. Of course he is. It's kind of shit though, isn't he? It's a strange one as well, because I, I don't actually, but, but obviously again, I think the original signing in the summer was Navrocki. He was meant mm -hmm. to be CCB's partner, or, or you know. But then when Starfelt left, it was kind of like, oh, shit, well, we're going to need another one. And then obviously there was the whole injury crisis, which ended up getting Nat Phillips as well. Um, and I think that's where, as I say, I don't necessarily dislike Lager Bielka, but it was just the fact that both him and Navrocki came in at the same time, got injured very, very quickly as well, that when they came back, I don't, I, I, obviously he was fouled in the, the build-up in the Rangers game, but I think apart from that, he came, you know done pretty well. But then, of course, there was the red card in, in Feyenoord, and, you know, ever since then, Brendan's, you know, he's not been backwards and coming forwards about how he feels that his, his attitude, etc., needs to improve. Even after he, he, he came on and scored the winning goal against Feyenoord, I don't know if this has always been like a little thing that, that Brendan did because I remember in his first season when Eric Sviachenko started as his one of his first choice centre halves and 
didn't really do anything wrong. You know, I, I felt he acquitted himself very well the first half of the season. But the, the first half, a game that we actually ended up going on to win, 2-1 at Ibrox, it was at fault or partly at fault for Rangers opening the scoring. I think he, he played misplaced the pass that ended up getting latched onto by, you know, somebody that probably plays in the English third division now and they crossed over mm-hmm. and Kenny Miller scored. But it was like, I think Sviachenko played one game for Celtic after that and it was almost as if that was, and at the time I thought, my God, this is so ruthless because I quite like Sviachenko. But then the amount of times Didrik Boyata seemed to get away with doing the exact same thing over and over and over again, I, I just thought, does, is this maybe something Brendan does? He just maybe makes an example of one player and, and, and that's it. But well, I suppose we'll, we'll never know. Um, and as I say, we probably we certainly won't be able to kind of have all the answers in one podcast, um, Anthony. But yeah, it's, it's a strange one. As I tell you, I couldn't name you the Celtic scout. You, you know more than me, but actually being able to name some names. Um, but I couldn't have, with a gun to my head, couldn't, couldn't either give you a name, let alone a face. Um, but as I say, We've got a little bit of time left. There's three days, um, like you say. The only real rumour that I've, I've, I've at least a little bit heard of is um, Sidney Van Hoydonk was was mentioned. Of course, he would be, cost a, unless it was a loan with an option to buy, he would represent a bit of an outlay, I would say. Is he the type of player? I, I don't know enough about him, apart from, of course, he's much more famous old, um, father, but... Is, is, is he someone that you've seen in, in any way, shape, or form? Is he something like that kind of physical? Is he built the same way as his dad? Or does he play the same way? Do you think he's someone that could fit the bill? I don't know if he plays the same way. He's certainly got the start. I think he's, if you go by Wikipedia or whatever, as he's six foot three, the video clips, he looks a big, big enough lad. He's almost, the video clips makes him look a wee bit like, and the mouldy, dare I say, Jack or Marcus, but probably a wee bit faster, maybe a, probably not as clinical. I mean, you just need to look at his Bologna career. I don't think that makes for great reading, but obviously had a, a spell in, over in Holland with Herenveen last season, where I think it was 16 or 19 goals he scored. So that's that's a good record to go off. He's, he's 25 years old. I, I, it is the only real link that seems to be... I mean, we're crying out for a striker, and that's not to have a pop at Kyogo, because, like, Jed told me to watch for it on Saturday, Kyogo makes so many runs, and nobody passes to him. And you're like... It's an awful point to his numbers, but he actually... It feels like Kyogo just stops making the runs because he can't be arsed in it anyway, because he's like, well, what's the point? So, and one argument that's like, well, I we need a striker to help Kyogo, but... Kyogo's not getting service, but then maybe a bigger, tall striker in the mode of Sidney Van Hoydonk, who Barkins looks like he could look after himself. Maybe it allows you to then put high, higher crosses in, whereas there's no point swinging a ball in for Kyogo to try and win the header. It's, it's just not going to do it at the end of the day. So I suppose Van Hoydonk would, without knowing too much about the guy, would probably give us that option. Mm. A wee bit of me, I, I would just want the deal to happen because it's Pierre's laddie. Just a wee bit of reminiscing and stuff. I mean, hopefully he's not got his dad's fucking attitude. He'll not be here for longer than a hick. Um but if he's got anything, if he's got half his dad's ability, he'll be a top player. Mm. Um 
But it, it seems the only one that sort of began and pays simply. It's one that's obviously overlinked to him in the summer. I think it's Anthony Joseph has even said that we've been linked to him. We've made contact maybe as far back as November. There was mixed messages coming out for Bonn. He's available. He's not available. They've went and signed a striker. I think it was Willard John on the chat had shared something about how... I've actually heard the audio for the Italian football at the weekend and the commentator actually says that he's not in the squad due in... I can't remember exactly what it was, but certainly due to an impending tra- transfer or an imminent, imminent transfer to Celtic. And then I was, again, I was reading Twitter today, fun enough, Anthony, and apparently his team, I mean, it's sources from a, a Bologna newspaper, apparently, um, are, are trying to force, are, are exploiting the idea of Celtic. So it seems... I say, Willie's Willie's probably sitting turning his grave and just been like these guys won for it all again, all the rumours. But it seems all the evidence is there that it's one we're trying to get done as Sydney Van Hondock. I've heard the boy Tommy Conway, I believe his name is for Bristol City. I think he's a Scotland under twenty one international. Peter Grant at the weekend I'm led to believe said that'll never happen, which I don't get why I sell a commentator for the for the team. Is sitting saying, "Oh, no, got a signing done." It's like, wait, wait, you on a bit? Or what? Does he know? Does he? Does he know no, something we don't? Something we don't. So it's it's a strange one. It, it's it'll be an absolute brave and bold move if we don't bring anybody. If we don't bring any signings in for the next three days, I appreciate it's got to be hard. I don't want us just bringing folk in just because we want bodies. They need to be guys that you generally think have got to prove the team. I just don't want. I just think it's a massive, massive and risk for the board if we don't bring anybody in. It's you're really asking a lot of Rogers. I, I mean, I think Rogers will manage to do it win the league with that team. It's no the world's worst team. We're we're in a no bad position. It needs freshened up, but it needs that team needs help. The players need help. The manager needs help. I just and as much as some folk like to slate the board and things like that. They can't be that stupid to realise. I know that there's obviously the whole PLC thing where they're on to dividends and, and shares and stuff. They're risking a, a lot of cash if they didn't invest in this team over the next couple of days. I just, for me, it's a massive, massive risk if they didn't bring something in. As I say, but Sydney Van Hooydonk, let's hope he's ha- is, is anywhere. If, as I say, if he's if half as decent as that, we'll be a decent player in our hands. Absolutely, and uh, Anthony, just your, your own thoughts on that, and you know, but, but is he somebody you would take? Is he somebody you've paid any attention to? You signed him on Football Manager at all, and uh, any good? I don't think I have actually signed him a Football Manager yet uh, in any of the last couple of seasons. Um, I'll be honest, I'm googling right now on the side and trying to figure out more about him because mm. I don't know enough about him. He's <clears throat> I was under the impression he actually only just recently signed for Bologna, but it turns out, according to Transfer Market, he signed for them back in 2021 summer. So he's been there for been a while. Um, his loan deal was to Herren uh in the Dutch league. And obviously, as far as he says, he's, his record there looks a lot more impressive than it does for, for Bologna and, and Serie A. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes a, a player has, you know, a good, a good club he can play well for, and sometimes a bad club he can play shake for. We've seen it with our own players. I mean, you're like a team of Pookie. 
kind of shake for us, but he, he did no bad at Norwich, didn't he? Um, I'm not against him. There's a romantic side of it that he is PS boy. You want to see somebody come through. There's a little bit of me would still take Jordan Larson, but I don't think I don't think either probably the right answer. Well, yeah. Um, what gets me though is a quick Google will show you that we were linked with Sydney Van Hoydonk in some capacity of a rumor back in summertime, and we we're most certainly linked to him in November time, and we were definitely linked a few weeks ago. If this was a signing that Celtic wanted to do, why was it not done already? Rogers came out before the window opened and said he wanted four quality players in this window. Then it's a case of, you know, we'll all bring quality in if it's available to us. We'll not sign anybody who's not the right quality. That's where my argument for Kuhn comes in. Is he the right quality? Because he didn't show it enough in a small cameo appearance, obviously, but more to, more to be seen. But if Celtic wanted a striker this window, why did we not sign him? Why we waited this long to the point where it actually now looks like Sidney Van Hooydonk's staff are trying to get him to come to us rather than us trying to get him. If that makes it. It's uh, very, very poorly done, this transfer. If this comes off, it's definitely a, a panic buy, a last-minute crap. We need to do something here. Um, it's, it's a bit too little too late. But I hope it's not. I hope it's enough to see us through. But it feels a bit too little too late, doesn't it? Yeah, I think one of the the sort of and it's that word again, the optics of it don't look great. I and mean, I think that's what's frustrated a lot of supporters as well. And of course, there has been some good, you know, the fact of the knockback O'Reilly, CCB signed a new deal. But I think that I think supporters were looking for more than that in the, in this window. I think the manager himself was as well. And I think that's where some of the frustration lies. In that, in, in that sense, I definitely can see it. As I say, I, I had personally set myself up. I didn't think he was ever going to swap Joe Hart in this window. And I kind of hadn't really expected him to change, you know, make a, a sign another left back. My, my thing was always an extra backup striker for, for Kyogo. I always thought that was the, the thing we had to, you know, to really focus on. And, whether that be Sydney Van Hoydonk or someone closer to home uh, remains to be seen. But I'm certainly, I'm certainly of the opinion that it would be a good idea to get, 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 get some some business in on this window. But I'm sure, boys, that the the guys will be talking about that very much on the double pivot on Wednesday night. And then, of course, if there is any deadline day deals to be done, I'm sure perhaps some of us could come on here and uh, finish things off on on Thursday as well. Um, but in terms of Tonight's show, that kind of wraps everything up um, this week uh, for the Monday night show. Uh, have you enjoyed it? Ah, it's been good. It was like a wee bit of therapy there, aren't they? <laughs> we'll try our best, Franny. We'll try our best. It de- definitely feels good when you can get your voice out there and just kind of rant a little bit in a bit more of a productive way than bashing text messages. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. It can be, it, it can be a, a stress in itself at times, really, can't it? But Again, folks, thanks to everyone for, for getting involved tonight. Um, it's always great to see some you know new faces coming on the show and all the, the regulars as well. Um, keep like watching, keep liking, keep subscribing. We appreciate um, all your all your input. And uh, we've got a lot of hopefully about a lot of talking points to come up um, on midweek the midweek show, the double pivot, um, where the guys can all obviously I'm sure transfer talk will be a, a main bulk of it, but there'll be other um, talking points as well, not just necessarily Celtic. There's no topic off limits on the double pivot. 
and uh, our usual Friday night show as well. But I'm sure if um, we'll be in touch if there's any any updates regarding transfers as well. And uh, well, I can say to the, the boys, thanks again for coming on. And as much as uh, we're in a bit of uncharted waters at the minute, just remember to look at that league table and we remember we're still top, still kings. And I've got no doubt we will be come the end of the season as well. So enjoy the rest of your Monday night. Stay well and keep safe. Hail, hail. All best, hail, hail.